Amen. Well, there's probably at least one of you in here wondering why we handed a whip to your 12-year-old son on the way into church. Uh, that's because Good Fridays is Friday, and if they actually draw blood from a family member, it's a sign of the cross and the beating Jesus took. No, not, not really. Um, it is Good Friday, though, this Friday, and hopefully you'll come out and we'll have a great service celebrating what Christ accomplished on that cross for us. But today is what we call Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem with hundreds of thousands of people waving palm branches, palm leaves and branches. And so we're passing these out as just a reminder of that. And they waved these palm branches, and they also shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna at that time meant save us. If you would have been pushed into a pool before you could swim, you would come up saying, Hosanna, save me. That's what it meant. And then, But when you add palm branches to it, palm branches were a sign of victory. The Romans would wave these when a general came back in after a battle. And so what they're saving, saying when you combine palm branches with Hosanna is, Lord, I need help. I need saving. I'm in, I'm in over my head. But the palm added this, Lord, I recognize you are that. You're the lifeguard. You're the Savior. You're the one who's come to help me and to save me. We probably don't need to go back 2,000 years in history for you to come up with a scenario in your own life where you could use the lifeguard, uh, a little bit of help. And so we're going to sing this song, Hosanna. Now you know what those words mean, and hopefully you'll identify an area of your life where we're calling out to the Lord, God, save us, and because he is, he is our Savior.
uh, it is Palm Sunday today, thus the whip in your hand, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. In your uh, bulletin are some sermon notes. Will you pull those out? Uh, there's a scripture on it, and we're going to follow right along with that scripture. You're going to miss a lot if you don't have that, so pull that out of your bulletin. And at the top of it, number one, is a scripture, this famous prophecy of what the Messiah would do when he rode into Jerusalem, and Jesus fulfilled this to the T. You see under number one, uh, in Zechariah, the Bible says, rejoice, people of Zion. And they were. There was 100,000 people out there rejoicing, waving palm branches. Rejoice, people of Zion. Shout in triumph, people of Jerusalem. For your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So Jesus comes in with all these people, waving these palm branches. And every time I've ever heard Palm Sunday explained, It always sounds a little bit like this. The people who are waving the palm branches always kind of get thrown under the bus and like, yeah, these people, you know, they just didn't get it because they were, I've heard this every year, they were expecting Jesus to come in and solve all their problems. They thought Jesus was coming in to bring, literally bring heaven on the earth and they were, they were kind of clueless. How could they not? Did they never read the prophecies that the Messiah had to come and suffer and, and go to the cross? Where in the world did these people get this ridiculous idea that the Messiah was coming to literally usher in heaven on the earth to overthrow the Romans and solve all their problems? Where did they get that idea? They're kind of made to sound foolish. Anybody know where they got that idea, by the way? Um, they actually got that idea from God. There's a lot of scriptures in the Bible that refer to God coming to the earth, to the Messiah coming to the earth. And actually, we, we see it really clearly today, but even the Jews understood this, they, that he, he came twice. There was the first time when he was coming to bring physical, I'm sorry, spiritual salvation. And that the second time he came to earth, he was literally bringing heaven with him. I mean, isn't that what we're all looking forward? I mean, how many of you are looking forward to heaven? Anybody looking forward to heaven? How about the rest of you? What are you guys looking forward to? I mean... There's only two options, smoking and non-smoking, right? I mean, you, you want to get that one right, you know? So, but yeah, were, were these people who were waving those palm branches, were they, did they have the small misconception that yes, Jesus was coming in to overthrow the Romans, solve all their problems? Yes, yes, they did. But where they got that is from God. Now, now these two visits, you know, of the Messiah, it's a little more clear to us today But we just read verse 9. Look down at your notes. We just read verse 9 of Jesus riding in on the donkey. Um, Look at verse 10. I'm I'm pretty sure 10 comes like right after 9, right? Uh, Here's verse 10. You see it there. God says this, I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. That's a reference to the Messiah's second visit. This chapter has 17 verses, and it swings back and forth between describing what Christ accomplished the first time and what he's going to accomplish the second time. It makes all the engineers kind of crazy. Like, God, you're not very linear here. Come on, come on, God. Let's keep this. Let's keep these things separated. Because in our way of thinking, uh, heaven, eternity, that's, that's something very distinct from our lives. Completely separated. You know, we have this life where we suffer and that life which is perfect. And they're a billion miles apart. But what God makes really clear in the Bible is he doesn't see it that way at all. He sees your life on one string, and it is uh, vitally connected. But it's kind of understandable how the the people, you know, had these misconceptions because it's 
It's right there in the Bible. And really, the real question is, would you write this down under number two in your notes? And maybe it'll just help you remember this. I think a better question is, why did Jesus let them believe their problems were over? Why, did he, why didn't he just stop the train and get off and say, hey, hey wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know you think I'm riding in to solve your problems, but actually, actually, I'm going to the cross, so... Why, didn't he, why did he let them? And, and in fact, on his way in, you may remember this, on his way in, Jesus said this. Jesus said, if these people are quiet, even the stones will cry out. So he seems to be encouraging this euphoria that he's riding in to solve their problems. Now, I'm going to give you the end of the sermon right here. All right? And then we're going to unpack it for the next three hours. Relax, that was a joke. The reason... Jesus did not correct their misconception that he was riding in to solve their problems is because he was. He was riding in to solve their problems. And we're going to see this throughout the Bible that God takes past, present, and future and packs them together in a way that is actually amazingly helpful when you see it in your own life because he does the same thing for us. This uh, combination of past, present, and future is throughout the Bible. But just think, I mean, we're all kind of in a hurry to get to the end. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't we all like to skip the, the life, you know, the test part, the pain part, and, you know, just get to heaven? Wouldn't we? Sure, we'd all would. You know, that, that crowd waving the palm branches, that's what they were hoping for. They were hoping to skip the trouble. And, but how about Jesus? What if he would have thought that? You know, he knew that he was riding into the cross. What if he would have thought that? You know, let's skip the pain. Let's just get to the party. Isn't that what we all, let's just get to the party. What if Jesus would have done that? All right, skip the pain. He said he could have called for angels and okay, skip the pain, get to the party. He'd be in heaven today, right? I mean, we couldn't have been there because it was on the cross that he took our sin, but he'd be in heaven. Can you imagine the conversation? Father, this isn't, dad, another perfect day here in eternity. You knocked out another perfect day. Father would say, it is another perfect day. You know, Jesus, kind of too bad the kids couldn't make it. Jesus said, hey, I thought, I, I, thought we, I thought we agreed not to talk about that. Yeah, I'm obviously joking, but here's the point. The point is for Jesus, it's obvious that for Jesus, heaven really wouldn't be heaven if he skipped the pain part, would it? Heaven wouldn't be heaven. And exactly the same in our lives. Jesus, as he was riding into Jerusalem, he recognized that, yes, was there pain in front of him? Yes. Was there some things he dreaded? Yes. But he knew that actually what he was about to head into was the very thing that he and the whole world was going to be celebrating for eternity. That's what we're going to talk about for eternity. Some of the things you want to skip are the very things God has planted there on purpose, and it's what you're going to end up celebrating if you'll start seeing your life correctly through the correct lens and start rejoicing in some of your tests rather than trying to escape. Now look at your notes. We're going to look at one of the hundreds of places in your Bible where God takes past, present, and future and just jams them all together like it's all happening right now in your lifetime. Romans chapter 8. It starts very linear, and we appreciate that. Verse 18. Number 3. Hope you're following, following along. Verse 18. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory. Everybody say glory. glory. Six times that word appears in this chapter, and every time it's talking about heaven. You know, the glory of eternity, the glory of heaven, right? Okay. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he'll reveal to us later. Now, that makes perfect sense to our brains. Pain now, glory later. All right, I get it. Thank you. Thank you for being linear. And now God 
kind of jumbles it up again. And again, the engineers are going to pull him aside in heaven. Come here, God. Let's have a talk. We need to straighten these things out here. He, he jumbles them all back up, just like he did for the Old Testament. Look, skip down to verse 29. For God knew his people in advance. This is God. The Bible says this, has happened, the Bible says this happened before you were born. This is him out in eternity looking back on our lives. Before you are born, he, he, he knew you in advance, and he chose you. God has some ability. He, he's in eternity, and, and he sees you, and, and all he sees, he, he, see, well, all he, he sees your heart open to him. Doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but when he sees a heart that is just willing, just willing to, to respond to him in any way, he chooses you. Okay? Keep going. Look at verse 30. Now, here's a couple of things that happened during our lifetime. Having chosen them, he called them to come to him. That happens in your lifetime. There's just a moment in your life when God becomes real to you. That's that calling. That moment where you just, you just can't deny God. How do you know he's real? You can't explain it. An unbeliever tries to, you know, argue with you, and you're like, I, 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 I can't explain it. He's real. That's a calling. He calls to you. Now, he's out in eternity. He calls to you, but it's, it happens in your lifetime. All right, so those he chosen, he called. Having called them, he gave them right standing. That's the process of fixing you up, cleaning you up. That's happening right now in your lifetime. And having given them right standing, and then he ends with this. One of the six times the word is used. He gave them his glory. One more time, say glory. glory. Now we all know that's it. Glory? You've given that to me now? What? Come on, God, you're confused. How many of you, are you guys experiencing heaven? Most of you are like, um, I don't think so. I don't think so. Maybe this help you if you if you see it in a line. These two things happen in your past, right? These two things are happening right now. Glory, that's out in our future. God just packs them all together as if they're all happening today. Notice where he ends. He ends. Now he gave. He gave them. That's kind of past tense. He gave them his glory. Um, God says he's already put heaven into your life. Is that true? Do you have a little, do you have any of heaven in you? God seems to think he has. He, he says he has. And we're going to help you unpack that because until you see that, this life's going to be really confusing and you're going to do a lot of whining over things you shouldn't be whining about. According to him, he's already put it on the inside of you. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's just read through this and I think you'll see how he unpacks it and hopefully it'll make a little more sense. And... Uh, Hopefully we can do a little better job because we do want to end waving these because he is come to solve our problems. That's what these mean. The, the, the lifeguard, where you know, we fell in, the lifeguard's coming. He's, he's here to save us, all right? Verse 18, let's start over. We, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he'll reveal to us later. Verse 21, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Now there's something we understand. You, look, you turn on the six o'clock news, death and decay, the world falling apart. Okay, we get that. We get that. And the Bible's saying the whole creation, all of the world is in that state. Things are falling apart, right? All right, well, and it says that the creation wants to join us. There's something God's planted on the inside of us that the creation wants to join us. Skip down now to verse, verse 22. We know, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit in us as a foretaste. Will you say that word? Say foretaste. God says he's taken his spirit, the spirit of heaven, and by the way, the Holy, that's what makes heaven heaven. It's not the gold streets. The very atmosphere is the Holy Spirit. 
love, joy, and peace. You're literally breathing it. It's probably going to take you a while to notice the gold. It's the atmosphere. The curse is gone, and it's just joy. You're, you're breathing joy. Well, he says he's taken that, and he's given us a foretaste, a down payment. It's a sample. When you get a sample at Sam's, what are they hoping? That you'll get in the back of the line and come back for another one? No, they're hoping that you're going to buy the whole thing, right? And that's what God has done. He's, he's, he's left us here, but he's given us a sample, hoping that we're smart enough to say, you know what? This is the one thing worth living for, this, this, this salvation, this, this heaven that God has put into me. Well, he says he's given us the Holy Spirit as a foretaste of future glory. Well, we already have a little bit of it. For we long, hopefully you're reading along with me, in the last part of verse 23, we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Some of us in here feel some of that right now, okay? We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights. Notice there is coming a day when you will, we will receive full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies. You know you're going to spend eternity in a body? It's going to be a new one. How many is praying for a tummy tuck? <laughs> Thank God there's going to be some uh, improvements, uh, but God created you to this thing to live eternally, and it's going to be rejuvenated every day. But notice, notice that verse again. Notice he ends. He, he says, we're, we're waiting in eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights. So we have our full rights then. What do we have now? Partial rights. Yeah, that down payment, it's, it, he says it again. He's already planted some of it here. God is painting this very clear picture that right here, right now, to people of faith, he's already taken some of eternity, some of heaven, and crammed it into your chest. You've got one foot in heaven, and the other foot is, he, he describes it a few different ways, death and decay. You could say a little bit of hell on the earth. You, you, could, you could say you've got one foot in heaven and one foot in hell. Or you're experiencing some of hell on the earth. You're experiencing some of that, that decay that is on this planet. And God is really specific that he intentionally puts a little bit of heaven in you and leaves you here for a short time. God calls your life a vapor. To him who exists for eternity, your life on this planet is poof, gone. And you've got this one shot, this one chance to have one foot in heaven and the other foot experiencing darkness and to make a difference in this dark world. This is your chance. He leaves you in the middle of some suffering because he wants you to make a difference. Exactly the same way Jesus had that cross out in front of him. You have some things out in front of you. And to the people who get it, they're like, ah, he has planted heaven in me. And, and they start, and they live out of their heart rather than allowing this troubles to dictate to them. Keep reading now. Let, let's just keep reading along. Skip verse 26 now and, and, and go down to verse 28. One of the most famous Bible verses, but if you see where it fits, to people who, who get this and they're, they're living out of the spirit on the inside of them, verse 28 says this, and we know, we know this. If you're living with, out, of, out of your heart, you know this. We know that God causes every, everybody say everything. everything. One more time, say everything. everything. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called to his purpose. The reason he did not correct them waving these things is because he was riding in to thing is kind of there. He was riding in to solve their problems. He really was. That's what he's saying to those who get it, to those who say yes to Jesus Christ. He opens a new door, and yes, you're going to have problems, but they're divine problems. They're ordained, just like he had some. 
there, there, he is going to allow you to face a test, but it's the correct test. It's, the, it's, it's what he's put on your plate, and he wants you to make a difference in everything. To people who live on that mission, everything works together for their good. And once you see that, your whining is over. It's over. You know, maybe help you if you see this on a, just a, I think visually, God knew his people, the past. He's given them his glory, future. He puts that all together. This line is supposed to represent eternity. God goes off the page either way. God's been eternity past. He exists in eternity future. Hopefully you can see that little line in the middle. That's your life. That's, that's here. That's this shot. Now, in God's mind, it's a part of eternity. It's not separate. It's, it's just, it's a part. It's on a string. Again, we see that as wildly distinct. I don't know what percentage, but I think according to the Bible, the majority of people get over that line. You, you, you die. You get into eternity. I think the majority of people look back and are like, holy cow. I whined the whole time, didn't I? You look back and you realize, oh my gosh. That was my one shot at, at proving I had any faith whatsoever. That was my one and only chance. You know what takes no faith to be happy in heaven? Yeah, nobody's going to be there. Some of you are like, oh, give me a tick. Give me a chance. I'll prove it. <laughs> no, no, it takes no faith. It's here and now. God has intentionally left us. He says he's already put his glory in you. He, you're, already, you're already saved. You've said yes to Christ. You're already in, man. But he's left us experiencing some trouble because he wants us to make a difference. He wants us to figure it out. Aha. Now, once you figure it out, life looks different. You're like, everything's working together for my good. It's, it's part of a plan. Go down to verse 31. We just read verse 28. Then verse 29 is what we just read, you know, that where God puts those things together. He knew me. He chose me. He called me. He fixed me. He put heaven in me. That's we just read. Now, verse 31. Let me just, before I read verse 31, let me say this. This is the Apostle Paul writing, all right? If anything, if everybody knows anything about this guy, he went from place to place. He, basically, from town to town, he went from prison to prison, from jail to jail. Everywhere he went, he faced trouble. Okay? That's kind is, of, is, that is that normal for you? When you go to a new town, do you just check out the jail and say, let's see where I'm going to be staying tonight? <laughs> I mean, it's a little abnormal. All right? But listen to this. To, to, to a person who gets what God is doing on the inside of them, and they're on that mission, here's what he says. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Stop there. What wonderful things? All these things that God has accomplished. Paul's so lit up. God has already saved me. He's already, he's already accomplished the mission. Everything's working together for my good. He says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? What, what, what is he? Paul is saying exactly what it seems like he's saying. He's, he's saying, if God is for me, what problems can I possibly have? When you look at it from, the, from a human perspective, you're like, Paul, what are you smoking, man? Paul, what, what can be against us? Paul, everything's against you. Wake up, man. Wake up. You go from trouble to trouble. You get seemingly, you get kicked everywhere you go. What, what do you mean? And that's the way you will always think until you have God's glasses on, until you see your life on that string and recognize you got one little shot, and yeah, intentionally, God has left some tests. And Paul got it. He just got it. He's, it. That last phrase is shocking. Who can ever be against us? Paul says, yeah, yeah. 
He was not ignorant of the fact that people and things were against him. He saw it clearly. But he saw, he saw the test, but he saw it as an ordained test. Would you write these things down under number four? It might help you to hopefully remember. If I've said yes to Jesus' mission, he left you here for a reason. He saved you for a reason. And if I've said yes to that, yes, faith in him, but it's more than that. It's, he's your Lord. Okay, all right. What do you have for me, Lord? By the way, I just put the, in parentheses life. That's just your life. If you said yes to Jesus' mission, by the way, let me give you the best way I've ever found to live on Jesus' mission. And I'm going to keep reminding you of this. This is something our church, we ask everybody to do every day. I'm going to ask you to do this every day of your entire life because there's nothing quite like this to give you mission focus. And it's pray this prayer every day. God, send me one person today to share your love with. It, you're asking God to prepare you and to prepare somebody. God, one person, just, just help me today to do something to help somebody to, to, to be a vessel of your love somehow today. God, help me to orient myself to something bigger than just me and myself. Because if you don't pray that, you'll end up, your goal for your life will be attaining a big pile of cash. And then you, you know, we all get beyond the mortality rate is still hovering right around 100%. We all get around the outside of that thing and look back and all you see is, oh, well, that was a pretty large pile, wasn't it? And, and everybody's proud of that. I mean, that's what, that's what they're doing in heaven is comparing boats and stuff, what you had by that, that. That's what they're doing, right? Nobody cares then. You, you care about, did I, did I live for that mission? Did I, did I? So if we've said yes to his mission, by the way, I hope you're praying that every day. Let me say it one more time and then I'm gonna ask you to say it with me. God, send me one person today to share your love with. Would you pray that with me? God, send me one person today to share your love with. I hope you'll pray that every day and just add a little focus to your life. So if I've done that, if I've said yes to his mission, which that's us, that's why we're here, right? We've said yes to his mission. Well then, A, write this down. My life is ordained. Ordained. O-R-D-A-I-N-E-D. Ordained. My life is, I'm going to say the same thing in about four different ways. My life is the correct test. Yes, it is a test. Yes. But you got the right one. You ever feel like the teacher handed you the wrong test? Your life. You're like, hey God, uh, this is like a master's degree test. I'm in the fourth grade here. I think, I think you handed me the wrong test. Anybody ever feel that way? Come on, God. I, I need like a fourth grade test here. No. God's like, no, no. That's the right one. We're talking about your life. That's the right test. You got the correct test. You got problems? Yeah, but they're, write this down letter B. I have perfect problems. They're problems, but they're, they're the right ones. Just like the cross was for Jesus. Just like Paul's was. Who can be against me? Who can be against me? This is, yeah. This is part of the plan. I'm overcoming. Now we're going to end. Go back to verse 26. I know some of you, you're, you're checking out now because you have your last fill in the blank. You're like, I'm done. All right. <laughs> I've, I've passed the test. I got them all correct. <laughs> Give me a couple more minutes and we're going to end with the absolute best part because crammed right in the middle of this chapter, right in the middle of all that God has accomplished for us is verse 26. And he's explaining how your mission works. He's fleshing it out in a way that makes so much sense when you see it. When you see this, you're like, oh my gosh, that happens all the time to me. And life becomes fun when you start living this way. Verse 26, he says this, and the Holy Spirit, that's, that's the glory, that's the heaven he's packed in our chest. The Holy Spirit 
helps us in our weakness. He's left us here in this weakened condition, this, this time, this vapor. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings. Everybody say groanings. Isn't that odd? He's saying the Holy Spirit on the inside of you will, will groan. He will yearn. And just stop right here and unpack this a little bit. Because this happens to everybody. And until you understand it, you'll be like, you know, what was that? This is universal. This isn't the super spiritual people. That, this has happened to you. And the better you get at understanding it, you're like, ah, this is how ministry works. God has left you here for a reason and you cannot solve every problem. Have you figured that out yet? You are not going to be the savior of every problem. So the, what we tend to do is just disengage. Well, I can, I can't help everybody, you know. So, but what, what can you be a part of helping? How does the Holy Spirit lead you to the things you're supposed to? He's planted that heaven in you and here's what happens universally when you said yes to Christ. You'll feel a yearning, a groaning, a, a burden. Sometimes it'll hit you and you'll see something. You'll bump into a problem. You'll bump into maybe a person. And until you understand it, you might think you're odd because you'll bump into something and your reaction will be, <gasps> I feel like I want to cry almost. What's that? And if you don't realize the Holy Spirit works this way, you think, I have emotional problems. What's going on? No. This is how he does it. This is the Holy Spirit pointing out that you just bumped into a piece of hell on this planet that he wants to fix. The Holy Spirit is saying, mm, no, 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 we, we can fix that. Mm. And it's not going to be everything. It's not every problem. Quit, quit being your self-directed Holy Spirit. Quit, you know, you, you know we want to fix, we want to decide which problems we're going to fix. Let him lead you. And there will be things, it just happened this past Wednesday, I attended the youth group starting to get old, I figured it might help. You know, if I attend the youth group, maybe I'll, maybe my hairline will come back. Anyways, <laughs> good luck, huh? I attend the youth group and I'm minding my own business. I'm being a good boy, just minding my own business. And at the end of service, uh, Tyler asked for prayer requests and there were a few, but one girl just raised her hand and she just mentioned something she wanted to pray. She wanted to pray for a friend who's having some mental health issues. Now, I've, I know how this works now, so I respond to it. But as soon as she said that, I'm like, ooh. The best way I could describe it now is sometimes it's more, a lot more pronounced than others. And I think the better you get at, at identifying it, the Holy Spirit is able to take it a little farther. And I felt like weeping in just a flash. I went from, hey, what's up? All of a sudden, ooh. What's that? And now I know what that is. That's the Spirit of God saying, now here's something. I'm, I'm gonna, here's a little piece of, Hell on this earth, I'm going to fix. Here's something that I want you to be a part of. And when he does that, he wants you to be part of it. At bare minimum, he wants you to pray. At minimum. You know what's happened too many times for too many of us? That's happened. And we just kind of drowned it with coffee. We're like, ooh, what was that? It was weird. If you just ignore it, it will eventually go away. But God wants you. That's him identifying something that he wants you to, to fix. To be a part of. At minimum, he wants you to pray. And if, and if that person is there, go to them. So what did I do? I just went and prayed with her. But you know what? It was radically different. Hopefully that's not abnormal for you to pray with or for somebody. 
But when it's something the Holy Spirit prompts, it is different. It is really different. You find yourself with a faith that God has changed something. You, you find yourself knowing things you don't know how you know, but you just know that God is fixing this problem. And you find yourself praying with a faith and with a boldness that are a little bit abnormal. You're like, ah, we're fixing this because it's spirit prompted. Now, there's a lot of different ways. It's not always that heavy. Sometimes it's just the Holy Spirit prompting you as to somebody who he wants you to invite. But if you pay attention to it, it's odd how often it comes with a little bit of a, of a yearning, a little bit of a burden to it, because he's, he's helping you feel what he feels, and he feels their pain. He, feels, he knows why they need an invite. He knows that they're driving a nice car, everything looks good on the outside, but he knows what's really going on, and he's letting you feel it. It's, it's a little bit of, it is, it is that yearning. And gang, the better you get at responding to that, Gang, this is your ministry. This is how we accomplish our mission here on planet Earth. He's left us in the middle. He packs heaven in our chest, leaves us in the middle of this, and this is how it rolls. And the better you get at identifying, oh, where, where is he pulling me? And then you'll, you'll engage in ministries where you feel, you feel pulled. You'll end up in a children's class, and week after week, you're just giving Jesus to these kids because you responded to some little thing in your heart. And the better you get at it, you find this happens a lot. It happens a lot. You know what one of the ways it happens? It, this, this, if you, hopefully you'll identify this, in your own home. There'll be times, it's not 24-7, but there'll be times where the Spirit of God will prompt you just to give a little extra love to one of your kids. Respond to that. My kids, I don't think they, I don't know if they give me this title, but I'm known as the random hugger. Because just, there will be times where it's, it's a little bit random, where I just, it's just out of the blue. It's like, mmm. And I just follow it. Mm, like a mummy. Mm, here he comes. <laughs> Big old. Oh. Rebecca loves that. She just loves it. I'm hoping that you're thinking through a lot of scenarios, a lot of ways, because this is how it rolls. And it's shocking how many amazingly powerful things happen when you start responding to the smallest little groanings on the inside of you. It's shocking where you can end up. You can either ignore those things and end up where all of your, your whole Christian faith is just boring. Oh, I go to church. That's what I do. You know? I just go to church and listen to this guy yak at me. That's where you'll end up. You'll quit, actually. You'll quit. If you don't learn to respond to that on the in, inside, all of a sudden your whole Christian life is just wildly different. It's a mission. And church is a place where that gets fed. And, and it becomes a life of meaning and value. And you recognize, and you start having experiences where, oh, God, just use me to help somebody. God just showed up at the end of my fingertips. <laughs> Try to control your excitement. <laughs> you know, it gets more pronounced the more you respond to it. The first time or two, you're kind of afraid to step out there. But if you keep doing it, you just get better. Before long, you get where, and it helps to hang around people who are better than you. You, you hang around people like Tom Pequeno. He's, he's a, he abandoned fear 26 years ago. He thinks what he thinks might be a prompting, and he swings on a vine like Tarzan in the middle of <laughs> <laughs> Jesus to the rescue. <laughs> he potentially made, made a mistake or two along the way. But for every mistake, there's like a hundred awesome stories. 
Gang, God wants you to have some awesome stories. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I'm going to wrap up, but this is universal. God does this with every believer. And you're going to either end up where Christianity is this boring thing that you quit, or it's going to be an exciting mission based on, am I going to respond? Am I going to follow him? Am I going to? He's, he's put heaven in my chest. He's left me here for a reason. Am I going to allow my problems to dictate to me or am I going to see this life for what it is and be part of the solution? I hope everybody can identify in some way, but if you're here and you feel the Spirit of God prompting you to say, you know what, you need to be doing a lot better job at this and you, you can see it. You can see where there's some promptings that maybe you've been missing. And you're just saying, God, I, I'm going to respond. I'm going I'm to invite. I'm going to go. I'm going to encourage. If that's you and you feel like God is tugging at your heart, nobody's looking around, but just, just lift your hand. Would you just lift your hand really quick? I want to pray for you. Father, I just want to pray in the name of Jesus. Help us to become better responders. You're, you're the one who leads. Help us to become better responders. Lord, we want to invite the people you're pulling us to. We want to encourage the people you're calling us to. And, and when we do that, we see you do amazing things. Lord Jesus, thank you. You did right in to save the day. You've taken our sin on that cross, and now everything, we're on your mission, and now everything, everything, everything works together for our good, and we love it. We love this life that you've called us to. It's a, an exciting mission. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen.